You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Well, good morning, Anthem. All right, how you doing? Hey, if you're here for the first time, I want to especially welcome you. I am too. So um, I would love to meet you and be able to say hi to you afterwards. I was down to do the fall retreat. My name is Paul, and I'm one of the pastors at Candeo Church, like Stan said, the the church that um, helped to plant Anthem. And it's so good. It's a little bit of a reunion seeing so many here who are uh, a part of that and left kind of all that was comfortable to see God do a fresh work. And it is amazing hearing some of your stories already of what God's doing among you. I hope you are caught up in the work that God's doing here and vitally involved. And if you're here for the first time, then great. And I'm so excited about that. And this is what they do every week. They worship the living God and we hear from his word. And um, today it starts off with a little complaining, honestly. And I don't know about you, uh, what you complain about, but I, I guarantee probably everyone in this room complains. I don't know what the subjects of your complaints are, but um, I tell you, in Cedar Falls, we complain often about the weather because, you know, while you're kind of getting your early summer suntan on, just a handful of days ago, it dropped eight more inches of snow, eight more inches. In fact, Jake, who was up here leading worship, and Sarah, they have a four-year-old daughter, Naomi, who looked out when she saw her first snowflakes and burst into tears, you know, like... Because she thought summer is this close, decimated, you know? Like, sometimes you don't even need words to complain. Your tears tell enough of the story. For some, it's their health. Like, you've got a subject that you complain about a lot, you know? And it might be your health. Jenny and I, my wife, who's here, uh, we had both of our moms living with us for an extended amount of time. Just think of that, you know? And they both were recovering from different things. My mom getting over cancer. My mom has lived through every cancer that I've ever even heard of. She is like bulletproof. Like I don't, she's a medical anomaly. And, and Jenny's mom was getting over the loss of her husband. And so I had these two um, mothers living under our roof. But the mornings began very similar. They would come up and almost like they had a medical exam every morning. It's like, well, how do you sleep? Well, you know how it is with my headache and uh, lower GI issues. I was on the toilet all, you know, it's like, it's like they were saying, let me give you every rundown of every part of my body and everything that's possibly going wrong. And then they'd sit down with their cups of coffee and line their pills up for the day, you know, out of the box, you know, on the day that it was. And just, I don't know about you. That's not been my complaining. Some of you are like, man, I'm just college students. I mean, I'm complaining about my professor who thinks this is the only class I have. I mean, he loads me up with homework. Some, your complaint is constantly about your appearance. And it's, you're always five pounds away from what you want to be, and your hair is never quite what that person's hair is. And I don't know what the issue is, but there is, in all of us, a tendency to complain, to find fault, and to find community in it. There is something about complaining that enjoys company, right? You've heard that, misery enjoys company. I have found that in complaining. I want to pull people in. There's some unity in that. We love complaining about weather and government and things we don't like. And surely we need friends to bear our burdens. We need to be able to open up. But that's a far cry from people who affirm your complaining, congratulate your negativity, and help you stay in that place. And I'm telling you, God's word that we're going to look at today begins with God's people grumbling. And God breaks into that world, in their world, 
and I think it will into ours. And so I want and invite you to open your Bibles, if you have one, Exodus 17. So that's the second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. If you've got a phone or whatever, an app, you can follow along there. This church has been going along, as has our church, Candeo, been going through the book of Exodus, which is a story about God rescuing his people, the Israelites, from Egypt. They're rescued from slavery to be slaves of the living God, to be servants of the living God. They're rescued from cruelty to serve and worship the God who is. And that's the story going on. And right now, God has pulled them out of Egypt, this powerhouse that has controlled them for 400 years and is teaching them lessons as he takes them into their promised land. I'm going to start with chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. Exodus 17 says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. I'm going to stop there. Because God's got them on a journey And he immediately introduces a trial into their life. How will they respond? Immediately, he brings them to a place where they're thirsting. A trial comes their way. And what's their response? Immediate distrust. Immediate complaining. But who was leading them? Look with me at verse 1 again, a little bit more closely. The congregation of the people of Israel, they're moving around. And it says this, according to the commandment of the Lord. They are moving from one place to another place according to the commandment of the Lord. Who's leading them? It wasn't Moses. It was God. God was in this. God was only using this guy, Moses. Now, they're going to voice their complaint to Moses, but really, who was their complaint against? The living God. And one thing we need to see right away from this passage is we complain because we really don't understand what God is like. And here's what I mean. Some of us don't understand that following God is going to involve tremendous trials in your life. Because God's ultimate goal in your life isn't your happiness. It's your holiness. He is a holy God. He is calling people to be a holy people. And the number one tool in his belt to accomplish his work in your life, that is to make you more like Jesus, is trials. He's going to do that. And he's going to bring them one at a time. God has the ability to do that, he does it often. And I just wonder, you know, just, I don't know if it was a week, two weeks ago, there was a trial just like this in their lives where they didn't have water to drink. God provided for them then and how quickly they forget. Are we learning from the trials that God's bringing us through? Or is God bringing the same trials again and again and again because we fail to learn the lessons he's trying to teach us? They had just had this trial. 40 years from now, they will have it again. The same thing. They are, they are complaining against God because they don't understand what God is like. I met with a guy recently who doesn't understand what God's like. I sat down with him, one of the guys who attends our church, and he was doubting God. And I thought, man, my heart was immediately just entering into that because I know what it's like as a Christ follower to have significant doubts about my Christian faith. 
What if the Bible's wrong? Or what if this is, isn't true? And what if I, and I want to find answers, and God has answers to those things. So I hope you know it's a great place to come if you have tremendous doubts. But this guy had an interesting angle on that. I said, when did your doubts towards God begin? And he said, they began after I began giving to this church and loving my wife. I didn't see that coming. Uh, wow, that's interesting. Tell me more. And he said, well, I began giving, like tithing. I think even like 10% of his money. I began giving, and you know what happened? I got more financial hardships in my life. And then I started loving my wife, who's hard for me to love. I started laying down my life. I'd come home from work, and I wasn't done work because I wanted to serve the family, and I was doing all kinds of stuff. And you know what? She didn't start loving me back. And so I'm beginning to doubt the reality of God. I thought, now, God's not a formula you can manipulate. He's a person who you trust and obey. You think, oh, I just plug this in, I get this immediately back? No, God has the authority to bring trials into your life. Do you know what it's like to follow God? He does this all the time, cover to cover in the Bible. He's trying to accomplish greater purposes in you. Not your, I'll give, and then I'll get. I will love, then I will be loved. You don't understand God. You're complaining, and you got God on your timetable. You're, you got this all wrong. These people, they thought they had a, a legitimate complaint against the living God because they did not have water, but they didn't understand. God was trying to make them more like him. And he was going to use trials. But it's not only that. I think we complain because we don't realize that when we complain against people, we're really complaining against God. We freely complain because we think our problem is with people when it's with God. What did they have wrong here? If you look closely at this, this is according to God's commandment, it says in verse 1, that they're being led. But they're quarreling with Moses. God is the one leading them. By night, by a pillar of fire, by the daytime, by a cloud, he is the one who rescued them out of Egypt. He is the one leading them every step of the way. Move now, stop, stop, move, stop, move, stop. They are being led by God, and yet their complaint is against a person. And I think sometimes we mistake the work of God for people who have even leadership in our life. And we vent our complaint against people when really to complain against people is to complain against God. Moses saw it so clearly. And he says, look with me again at verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Look, your problem isn't with me. Your problem is with God. And he just brings the issue to bear on them. Stop fighting with me. Your fight is with the living God. That's who you're quarreling against. The, the other day, we're trying to find a place for lunch. It's a Thai place. We type it in to Siri. Siri, tell us where our food is, you know. Type in the Thai restaurant. Jake's driving the car, right? So we're just along for the ride. I mean, we, we follow Jake because he drives the car, you know. And, and we're all following Siri, really. Well, Siri took us to a place where the Thai restaurant was. You know where Siri took us? Siri took us to a tree. That's where it took us. Not a Thai restaurant, a tree. Like, we just pulled up, and, and you look at the picture, and it's a tree. We're like, what? At that point, can you imagine how crazy it would be for us to just rail on Jake? Come on, Jake! Where have you led us? We're so hungry. You take us to this tree? You know, what do you think we are, giraffes? Like, <laughs> it, it would be ridiculous. Because really, our complaint is against Siri, <laughs> the little omniscient Siri who messed up. 
and led us to a tree. Look, the reality is this. Some of you, in your circumstances in life, you want to complain against the dad God gave you. And I am not excusing his poor leadership in your life. You want to complain against the spouse God gave you. You think your issue is is with them? You fail to see that God is trying to make you more like Jesus. And trials are more useful in your life than happy times. People grow, don't they, more in the valley than on the mountaintops? And I'm telling you, God had these people right where he wanted them. He led them to this point. They're thirsting, they're thirsting. What are they going to do? Will they turn to me? Will they turn to me and trust? Will this be the time where they go, I accept this trial. This is so hard. This is so hard for me. But God, you haven't brought us out here to die. What are you going to do? Our trust is in you. I think when we go through trials and we fight against them, we're communicating. We don't even understand what's fair at all. You know, these people thought they deserved water. And you go, wait a minute. That's like an essential need. Of course they deserve water. I would question that. Because if I understand the Bible right, my sin, my offenses towards the holiness of God deserve me nothing but eternal conscious torment in hell itself. Jesus talked about it nonstop. Not because he was trying to scare people, because he was trying to rescue people from the destination they were heading to. I'm telling you, these people stood there thinking, God, you owe me something. I deserve this. How can you brought me out here to die? And the reality is, if God gave you what you deserved, it wouldn't be water. It'd be eternal judgment. And when you realize that, that's the baseline. That, that's what we deserve for who we are in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. That's what we deserve. Anything north of hell itself is grace. It's grace. It's hard to complain about the dinner you don't like when you realize, I deserve hell, and I'm not getting that. This dinner just got a lot better. It's hard to complain about your spouse when you deserve eternal separation from anyone at all. It's hard to complain about that roommate who won't pick up their clothes when God has snatched you from the fire rescued you from judgment, and brought you into his family. It's perspective, isn't it? But here they were grumbling and complaining and not trusting in the Lord. How interesting that as they cry out to Moses, Moses is crying out to God. And I find it so fascinating that it would be most of a couple thousand years later that God's people at one of their annual feasts would be celebrating how God did provide for them in the wilderness And in the midst of God's provision for his people in the wilderness, Jesus would show up at this festival. And at this festival, there was a celebration of how God brought water to the people. And likely the high point of this festival, a week-long festival, Jesus stands up in front of all the gathered Jewish people and yells or screams, shouts. The, The word is strong. He cries out to them, and Jesus says this, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. I want you to know this this morning. If you've been here since the church started, if it's your first time, the end of all complaining is a life that's satisfied in Jesus Christ. 
The, what ends all complaining is a satisfied soul in Jesus Christ. And he's offering himself. And I'm telling you, this struggle in the wilderness was a precursor to the satisfaction Jesus would bring. Not to just quench your thirst for a day, but to quench your thirsty soul for a lifetime. So many are thirsty. We all are. And you're trying to have your thirst satisfied in being a mother or a father, being a successful businessman, being a student who gets A's and maybe gets married also. You are thirsty. God has made you that way. And like the church father so many centuries ago, said, our souls will be restless until they find their rest in thee. Jesus Christ cries out to all who are thirsty, not just physically, come be satisfied in me. Come be satisfied in me. Look, you can say to your kids, stop your complaining. You think you're hungry. Kids in Africa are more hungry than you, right? I tried that. I've learned that guilt can temporarily silence the mouth. But guilt can never satisfy the soul. Jesus can. Your little guilt trips temporarily can silence the mouth. Maybe even silence you from complaining. But it can't satisfy your soul, and Jesus will. Jesus will. Well, they grumble and complain, and God comes through for them. Let me read the rest of this account. The Bible says in verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with some of you the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff which you, with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Orb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us? Or not. God does provide for them. But next, as the scripture continues, we're going to be introduced to two different ways that you can respond to God. You will find yourself in one of two camps this morning. And these two different responses to God are modeled for us by two different groups of people. You're either going to be like the Amalekites or the Midianites. And here's what I mean. God was about to lead his people and was leading them among this group called the Amalekites. Now, just I don't have time to develop this as much as I'd like to, but I'll say this. The Amalekites were like distant cousins to the Israelites. Think of it. Israel's like two million strong, probably with the men, women, and children, and they are a ragtag group. They are just getting along as they're moving through the wilderness. And the Amalekites have a decision to make. They, they are distant cousins. And what I mean way back in their genealogy, they're descended not from Jacob, the line of Israel descended from Jacob, they're descended from Esau. But it's very likely that this group of people would have known this, that these are God's people. And if you want God's blessing in your life, you'll be good to these people. You're good to them, you bless them, there will be blessing to your own life. That's part of the Abrahamic covenant. It's talked about in Genesis 12. So they would have known, I believe, that our response to God's people, to God's ways, is to cooperate with it. Let's honor the word of God and be blessed because we did. You can have that kind of response to God. Now, the Amalekites would do just the opposite. In fact, there's a parallel passage that talks about how they were so cruel that as they sought to attack God's people, what they did is they came around from behind them, probably just to pick off children, to pick off the elderly. The Amalekites 
had a response to God, and a response to God's grace, and it was this, a ruthless attack. You could, you could align yourself with them. You refuse to hear God's word and heed its warning. Or you could be like this guy. I want to talk to you about a guy named Jethro. Look with me at Exodus 18. Because Jethro, he represents the people of Midian. And these two people, the Amalekites and the Midianites, have two different responses to God. The Bible says this in Exodus 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in all that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. This passage is more amazing than I ever thought. And the way it ends is fantastic. It's just so beautiful. But let's take a look at this guy, Jethro. What do we know about him? Look back at verse 1 with me. you got to put a sketch together of who this guy is. The first thing it says is it's Jethro, the priest of Midian. The Midianites are godless people. They don't follow God at all. It's like this pagan people. And Jethro just happens to be the priest. Now, it doesn't say he's just one of many. He's like the guy. So here is Jethro, leader of a wicked, godless people. That's Jethro. And he just so happens to be related to Moses. He is, it said it three times, I think, Moses' father-in-law. So how, Jethro, how, how Moses married in this family, you have to go back in, in the Bible to find that. But Moses marries Zipporah. Now what's Jethro doing here? The Bible says that he is bringing Moses' wife and his kids back to him. Likely, Moses headed on into Egypt to rescue the people, and it's like, let's keep my wife and my kids away from that. You stay at home with your dad, and I'm just going to see some amazing stuff. you know. And then I'm going to rescue the people out. Meet up with me out here. So likely is a little bit of a reunion. He is bringing them back. He has had them under his care and under his shelter for some time, and he's bringing them back. But how he responds to Moses connects with at least one guy I met this morning so far. Where's Andrew at? All right, you'll see in a second. Jethro was totally outside of the people of God. Completely outside of the people of God. 
had no connection with them, other than he was related to a guy, and some people think, well, as long as I'm related. So he was outside of the people of God. And this godless guy, who was the priest of a godless people, hears the great things that God has done for him. Did you see that? Moses told his father-in-law, look at verse 8, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians, all the hardships that had come upon him, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good the Lord had done to Israel. Basically, Moses is witnessing to this guy. Moses is like, let me tell you how awesome God is. Has someone done that to you? Share the gospel with you? It's a little different. They weren't telling you about how God rescued people from Egypt. But boasting about what God has done, that's basically what's going on here. Moses is saying, God has done this. We were helpless. We were powerless. We were enslaved. These people, they were enslaved. God has come through for them. God rescued them. God gave them hope. This is what God has done. That's what you do when you share Jesus with people. I am telling you, someone, many people took the time with me when I was a 17-year-old and said, do you know what God has done? You've not learned much about it because you've been all partying and chasing women, immorality, all your junk. But you know what God has done? God sent Jesus to live the life you clearly haven't lived. I'm like, tell me more. All of a sudden, I was curious. Never cared about spiritual things. Well, tell me more. Yeah, Jesus Christ, perfect in all his ways, even when you weren't loved you. God sent him from heaven for you. No way. No way would a fa- God the Father would send someone for me? Yeah, send him to a cross to be slaughtered for you. You're kidding me. What father would allow his only son to be slaughtered? A God who knew it was the only way. Because Jesus Christ, someone had to die for my sin. It was going to be me eternally in hell, or Jesus Christ could take my punishment. And Jesus steps in. And the innocent takes the place of the guilty and goes to the cross. You're kidding me. Yeah, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. Death couldn't hold him down. And if you put your faith in Jesus, if you ask him to forgive you, you too, when you die, will rise from the dead. You too will rise because you'll be forgiven. You'll be one of God's children. That's how someone witnessed to me. And it was something like that for Andrew, who I just met this morning, who this fall in October, someone laid out the gospel for him, and it clicked. And he responded like Jethro. God has done amazing things. Maybe just like Jethro. I don't know if he used these same words where he says, now I know that this God is greater than all gods. This Jesus, greater than everything that people worship. People worshiping themselves, Jesus is better. People worshiping money, Jesus is better. I have found him to satisfy my soul. You see, Jethro responded to God's grace. And I think that day became a follower of God. There he is then, offering a burnt offering, praising God with his lips. I think the pagan godless leader of a wicked people that day said, God's done all that. I follow him now. I follow this God. And I'm telling you, I don't know many of you, but I'm telling you, you will respond a little bit like the Amalekites, this first nation that encounters God's people, 
or a little bit like the Midianites, Jethro, who represented them. One of them says, forget it. In fact, we'll even oppose God. This other guy bows the knee. This other guy bows the knee. I'm telling you today, today, if you hear God crying out to you, forgiveness is possible. You can even follow the example of Jethro, who though he had done all kinds of things wrong, I'm sure, became a follower of God. I don't know all the stories of what God's doing here, but up in Cedar Falls, it's amazing. I'm hearing stories all the time. Three college freshmen, Dylan, Nathan, Isaac. My, my son and others have gotten to see them give their lives to Christ this last semester. People who came from darkness to light, came from worshiping themselves and all that the world has to offer to praising Jesus. I think of Ben, a friend of mine, who, successful businessman, but a committed alcoholic and adulterer, living a life of secrecy, surrendered his life to Jesus, now a leader among God's people, just a couple years later. I think of Kayla, this wonderful lady in our church, who not long ago at all was pole dancing, stripping, doing whatever she could to get money to feed her addiction to alcohol and drugs. And when the drugs and that grip of just drugs was so tight on her, needing to make more money, she dove into a life of prostitution. And now, within this last year, has found that Jesus is what she has longed for all along. The temporary fixes and pleasures and thrills of this world are nothing compared to Jesus. Forgiven, she now follows Christ. I could go on and on and on. Sarah, a Muslim girl who just, wrong religion, though her heart was so devoted, and now, though her family would reject her, God's family has embraced her. I'm telling you, God is doing a great work here. And maybe he's crying out to you because you have yet to bow your knee to Jesus. You don't know what would happen to you if you were to die. I'm telling you, God wants to settle that in forgiveness in Christ. And this Jethro, I find such hope in him because now he knew God was greater than all gods. But it's what happens next that probably is the most challenging thing in my life right now. Because if you desire to be a godly leader among his people, I'm telling you what happens next in the passage is a total mind blow that we have to learn from. So check this out. Look with me at Exodus 18. I'm going to start in verse 13. It says the next day, the next day. Okay, so Jethro becomes a follower of God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. And I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. 
you are not able to do it alone. Okay, let me just time out. Time out. Guys, I just want to talk to the men. This dude tells Moses two things that no man wants to hear. Number one, what you're doing is not good. Basically, you're wrong. Hey, Moses, you're wrong. And then here's another thing men don't want to hear. You can't do it alone. Like, you can't do it is the biggest invitation to me to try and do something with all my heart. Like, when someone said, ah, probably can't do that. I'm like, what, what am I about to do? You know, like, that's, that's how I lean in. I, I'm, I'm highly competitive. And sometimes it's stupid, you know. Most times it's stupid. You're wrong, and you can't do something alone. That's what Moses' father-in-law said to him. How hard would that have been to hear? On many levels, right? Number one, the guy who is telling you you're wrong is your father-in-law. And in-laws have nothing to teach their kids, right? Or so it would seem. Like the guy saying you're wrong is your wife's dad, you know? And you're like, ah, this hurts. And, and that guy, by the way, just yesterday was the priest of a godless people. Like basically, he's one day old and following God. And he's saying, ah, you're all wrong. You can't do this alone. Who are you to tell me? Jethro, what kind of crazy name is that? You know, who are you to tell me? I mean, you've been following God for one day. Look, do you know who I am? God speaks to me out of bushes. He's about to speak me from a mountain. I'm about to write down a lot of commands of God. God used me to rescue his people out. How many plagues? You don't even remember. I was there. I led God's people across. Look, Chuck Norris has nothing on me, Jethro. You know, I'm the guy. I'm the man. I'm Moses. And you, you one day old follower of God, you, you, you're my father-in-law. You are telling me I'm wrong? You're telling me I'm doing something wrong? I'm not doing it well. It could be so much better. You know Moses' response to that? A listening heart. He leans in. Help me to know. I'm telling you, men, and it's true for women as well, godly leaders welcome correction from anyone. Godly leaders welcome correction from anyone at all. And so let me just ask you, across the board, men, women, I don't care how young or old you are, are you easy to correct Are you, that was really funny, that body language. Someone, when I asked that question, you know, like, I wasn't trying to be, are you easy to correct? Do people have to just say it just perfectly right for you to receive it? Basically, like, lay it out as perfectly as a lawyer might? Is your posture towards correction, like, (laughs) or is it, no? Bring that. I'm 
telling you by God's grace, I, I have learned to want one word of correction. More than 10 people who would say, great job. I think too many people are so superficial when you could be helping someone with some life-giving words of correction and rebuke. We just sound like junior hires signing yearbooks. You're awesome. Don't change a thing. It's like, come on, how helpful is that? Who wants to stay like they were in junior high? I mean, what terrible advice to take. Don't ever change. It's like, oh, please, please. No, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. Are, are you... Are you easy to correct? I'm telling you, Moses received this correction. You're going to see that in a second. Godly leaders welcome correction. They draw it out. They say, show me what you see. Help me to see what I don't see. Everyone's got blind spots. Did you know that, even you? You do. I do. Or are you hard to correct? Can you be corrected by your children if you have children? Well, not until they're this age. Really? God will speak through the mouths of the babes. If you can get down on your knee and say, see me, show me what you see. Was my word, were my words harsh? Was I not being gentle? I, I want to listen. I want to change that. Are you easy to correct? Or are you hard? Are you ever wrong? I don't ever recall, and I love my dad. I dearly love my dad. I don't ever recall him saying, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? I was totally wrong on that. I don't recall that. I don't hold it against him. He doesn't know Christ. But I don't ever remember hearing that. Does that come out of your mouth often? If it doesn't, my guess it's not because you're sinless. Are you easy to correct? Look, in 2 Samuel 12, God uses a nobody named Nathan to, to correct a king named David who was on a godless path, and God rescues him from it because he could hear from a nobody named Nathan. In Exodus chapter 3, God speaks through a bush to a murmuring murderer named Moses to lead God's people. God can speak that way. In Numbers 22, God speaks through the mouth of a donkey in order to rescue you know, this, this diviner prophet named Balaam. And I'm just asking, look, if God can use bushes and donkeys and one-day-old converts, doesn't he have the freedom to speak words of correction through anyone he wants to into your life. I have found that the people who often have the words of God that I need to hear in my life are those who not only love God, but love me dearly. And I need to welcome those words. But I'm not opposed to a one-day-old convert, and I will even listen to a donkey if it wants to speak. God's done it once. Wouldn't that be cool? Man, I hope I get that on camera. You know, like, that YouTube will go viral, you know. Are you easy to correct? Let me show you something else about godly leaders. Godly leaders humbly admit that they need help from others. They humbly admit this. I can't do it alone. Can you imagine how hard it had to be for Moses to admit this? Two million people looking to his leadership. He's the guy. And Moses getting up there, uh -huh. does this megaphone work? Hello? Um, apparently, been doing this wrong. 
There's some stuff I've had wrong. I'm trying. My heart's in a good place. I'm working from morning till nighttime. But I had a lesson to learn from this guy. He's only been following God for one day. Don't kill him. He actually, he's with us now. And here's what I've been doing wrong. Can you imagine how hard it'd be for Moses to go? I know I'm the leader, but I don't have the best ideas. But this guy, God spoke through him into my life. And it's going to be a blessing to you. How hard would this have been? Look at what Moses did with this correction. Look down with me at verse 20. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 19. (laughs) When he says, you're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. This is Jethro speaking. And I'll give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look at this, Moses, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such a man over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. And so that's his solution. He's like, look, it's not that you're not supposed to judge the matters. You just judge the hard ones, but you need to raise up leaders. What are you going to do, Moses? Are you going to raise up leaders and expand leadership, or are you going to just be the bottleneck? And verse 24 is so beautiful. Oh, that I, that I would embody this. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. And did all that he had said. Moses listened. Moses listened. And then how does this turn out? And the last lesson comes from these last few verses. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. And I want to say this lastly. Godly leaders... Godly leaders already said that they welcome correction from anyone and that godly leaders humbly admit that they need help from others. But look, godly leaders entrust significant leadership to others. That's what Moses is doing. Godly leaders will do this. They entrust significant leadership in the lives of others. In the world of the church, like in church leadership, this is what it looks like. You say, there there are these thousands of dollars in the church budget and I will have no say over how they're spent. I'm entrusting them to the wisdom of spirit-filled people who God has gifted in unique ways. And I'm not looking over your shoulder, not controlling and micromanaging. I'm entrusting dollars. I'm giving authority away. That's what it looks like. Because God has gifted the body of Christ here. God has gifted Anthem Church, and it's so cool to see so many people being used in so many different ways. But godly leadership in the church looks like giving away leadership, empowering others, letting them go further than you can go on your own. In, in the home, it can be that, guys, just because you're the dad and God has allowed you to sacrificially be a leader in the home, using the strength of your leadership to serve your family, it doesn't mean that you always have the best idea. I rarely have the best idea in my home. But what leadership looks like is finding the best idea and saying, you know what? I think what Claire said, my youngest kid, I think that's what I think we should do. That was awesome. We're going that direction. I'm telling you, godly leadership looks like empowering others. 
And some people have so linked their worth to the positions and the parts that they play. You have so linked your worth that the thought of some connection group leader doing it better than you, some teacher, some whatever being better than you at your thing, it threatens you because your worth is linked to a role. You need to be so secure in who you are in Christ and just be happy to play whatever part you can. Don't, Don't love power. Don't love control. Don't be crippled by that. Find your identity in Jesus. Give your life away and empower others. Man, Moses leads in a way that I want to follow. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ here, but I also thank you for people who are not yet my brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe they haven't, they haven't come to know you yet. Jesus, I pray for any here who have not yet responded in faith to the gospel. I pray, God, that you would show them their sin, their ju- the judgment they deserve, only so they would flee to the cross. God, thank you for the love offered through Jesus. And I pray, even like Jethro humbled himself and was totally wrong in his spiritual journey, I pray that some would even follow Andrew's example this morning, humble themselves before you and find forgiveness through the gospel. And I pray that all of us would lead like you lead. Oh, God, may Anthem be known as a place of humility. May it be known as a place where people are easy to correct. We all need to be just turned into a better path in so many different ways. Oh, God, I pray that we would be humble enough to receive, to even welcome correction so that the kingdom of God would expand, would explode, and not ever be hindered by us. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.